from Relevant Magazine and RelevantMagazine.com. It's the Relevant Podcast. It's the week of Friday, May 27, 2011, and this is The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, back in black. <laughs> I don't know, in black. Um, <laughs> joining me here in our Orlando studios is the very lovely Josh Lillian Loveless. Hey, people. Uh, Maya is not here today. Uh, Chad's sitting in. I am also very lovely. Our illustrious producer, Chad Michael Snavely. <laughs> Thank you. And on the Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Greetings. I realized uh, on my long flight back from Ecuador, I was trying to sleep, so I decided to listen to a podcast. Okay. And uh, uh, my intros have a lot of the word love in them. Really? Lovely, loverland. Loveless. Loveless. I didn't, didn't, not intentional. Okay. I don't have an obsession with love or lovely things. Well, not that you know of. Your subconscious Apparently is very loving. Yeah. Wow. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yeah. Well, we have a great podcast for you today. Uh, apparently not as good as last week's based on the Twitter. Really? Uh, uh, responses. Yeah, everybody was like, car. John Acuff was so great. Screw Cameron. We don't need him again. You know what? You know what's difficult that about that? That is untrue. What's difficult about that feedback is, you know, John was great and all, but I mean, come on. What about the rest of us? I Chad, know. Jesse? We were, we were on our A game. Come on. I, John, John's getting all this credit because he shows up. We yeah. have a great podcast. Everything that he said, we scripted for him. Yes, we wrote it for him, and I felt like we just set him up. Yeah. We were. That, that was literally a word for word script the entire time. John read from a teleprompter. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like uh, it's like giving Mike Miller from the Heat credit for a win, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, for uh, for showing up. So well, he had a heck of a game, didn't he? Though you're calling yeah. John Acuff Mike Miller. I'm just saying. Washed I'm just up, saying. Irrelevant. No, I'm just saying. Uh, good from the outside. I don't know. <laughs> good the, here, here's an option. I don't want. I don't want to get off on a sports tangent. So maybe I shouldn't even go there. There is something about college players that come from Florida. They're insanely tough. That's right. Like Joe Kim Noah, right. Mike Miller, right. and um, Udonis Haslam were on the floor and, the other night. Yeah, and now Horford earlier. I mean, all Rex, these guys. I, I think we can throw Rex Grossman in there. <laughs> no, um, a basketball player. I have oh, Tim, Tim Tebow. Now, Tim Tebow. Now you're going to be specific yeah. sports wise. Well, oh, okay. well, no, I'm not. I'm not. It's just because I don't. I'm not as familiar with their football talent. Danny, it was just because they have a lot of players currently in the playoffs. Danny Warfel. And, <laughs> and what you the one quality that they all have, no matter how how big of a contribution they make, offensive or defensively, their guys are tough. Yeah, I agree with you, man. It, it, it's not. It's it. It's the they have the intangible, and I had never recognized that before because I was watching the game and I noticed that Boozer and Lou Aldang, a couple Duke guys, were on there. And that as big and tough as Boozer looks, you know, he's not a pushover, but they were just walking through him on defense. And then I was noticing guys like Joe Kim Noah and like I said, Haslin and, and it was the night Mike Miller was having a good game. Those guys, are, those guys are tough, man. I had a moment with Carlos Boozer a couple of seasons ago. <laughs> what, what, sounds intimate. Was, he is not someone I want to have a moment with. Well, he's very intimidating. Okay, so it was my birthday, mm-hmm. and so a couple of friends flew in, and uh, we had tickets, you know, but I'm used to sitting... This is at the old arena. I'm used to sitting behind the Magic. Mm-hmm. So I'm... 
I'm like 12 to 13 rows back, like on the tunnel at that arena. And so there's a certain volume you have to have to interact or get in a player's head. You right? have you have what it takes, right? So you, so I'm used to for years uh, interacting with the players at a certain vocal level. Yeah. Okay. So my birthday friends coming in. So we get a couple extra seats. So it's my birthday, so I'm going to splurge. I'm going to get good seats. And uh, the Jazz were playing. This mm-hmm. Boozer played for the mm-hmm. Jazz. It was a Sunday afternoon game on my birthday on ABC, 1 o'clock game. And so my friends are in the crappy seats, the 12, 12th row seats, and we got seats on the fourth row. Hold on, time out. Just for everyone listening on the <laughs> podcast, I do not believe the 12th row seats are crappy yeah. seats. You know, that's... So, <laughs> so, so I'm saying I'm on the 12th row, and it's, or I'm on the fourth row, and I'm directly behind the visitor bench, which I'm, again, not used to. Sure. So, you know, we're playing the jazz, and in the first quarter, within about five minutes, Jerry Sloan gets booted from the game. Right. I'm on the aisle. Yeah. I have the aisle seat. I'm out in the aisle. I'm just in his face, yeah. waving my arms. Telling him where to, to go, aisle. right? I'm t- I'm not, you're doing the na na na. I'm pointing the way. Showing I'm just the like, sign. I'm loving this, you yeah. know? And then, like, the next quarter, like, we get up by like 30. I mean, so it's before halftime, and it's just, the place is, you could hear a pin drop. It's so silent, right? And I'm sitting on the fourth row, national TV game. We're just killing them. And a random timeout is called. So the team's walking back to the bench, and I just decide to yell at Carlos Boozer. He hadn't done anything. And yeah, I go, reason. And I, and I scream in my 12th row voice, mm-hmm. Boozer, you suck! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For, he t- just proclaiming yeah. his suckiness as loud as you can. Apparently I'm eight feet from him. Right. And right. he turns around and looks at me with utter confusion. Like, <laughs> I didn't do anything. Yeah. Like, we're down by 30. Like, like I've been on the bench over yeah. here. And, and so he turns around from the bench, looks at me dead in the eye, and I'm like, oh, crud. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, what yeah. do you do? So I, I, I froze, and I gave him a thumbs up. Oh, <laughs> wow. And he, he gives you another finger. Off. Yeah, yeah. And I'm exactly. like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I could have, I, I got in his head. I could have driven it home. I fro- I choked, man. When, I choked. When, when you're on the fourth row, is there an element of, like, I'm in my living room watching this on television. No one can hear me if I scream as loud as I can. I think, yeah, kind of. Okay. Yeah. This is before I got into that fight with Dwight and everything. And I, right. and, I and the, 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 the fifth wall was broken right, or whatever right, that, right, yeah, that yeah, is. Yeah. So, so this is the first time you, you felt the, the tangible acknowledgement. Well, no, because prior to that, at, at one point, um, uh, Adonis Foyle, our, our third string center, tried to climb up in the stands and come after me. Uh, but and he seems like the most mild. He Adonis, seems like a gentle Adonis giant. Foyle, yeah. sorry, Adonis yeah, yeah, Foyle. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he was a gentle giant. I got under his skin. He, um, but, but that that was like after the game, and I'm hanging over the railing, By the way, he yelling hosts, at them. He hosts a uh, poetry uh, reading experience at a coffee shop downtown Orlando on a regular basis. Yeah, he's now. incredibly intelligent. He's going to be a statesman. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I got the, under the, his skin. The, the most po- mild-mannered guy on yeah. the team. Spewing it was, poetry. It was after a game, he, he took two steps up toward, and then he kind of gathered himself, and the security grabbed him, too. And, and But that wasn't during a game, and I was interacting with him face-to-face, and he was coming toward me. That was at the grocery store. That was different. Yeah. Well, here, here's the thing. If, if people aren't familiar with what, maybe you're not a sports fan or you don't follow NBA, if you're not familiar with what Carlos Boozer looks like, Google him, okay? I think it's the combination. One, he has a massive physique, and that's intimidating alone. But I think even, it doesn't matter what your physique is, if you're bald and have a beard, 
that's that's intimidating. Yeah, Chad, thank you. Yeah, you just described Chad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that, but but Chad, <laughs> are people intimidated by Completely. you? Completely. Yeah, exactly. It's the look. I mean, it's it's the look of do not mess, don't cross this guy. That's right. But this is one guy you do not cross. It was at that game though that I realized that I am not the sort of fan that can sit behind the visitor bench and jeer them, taunt them, talk trash. I can't. I don't right. have it in me. Right. I tried. Yeah. I, I threw out a boozer you suck and then mm-hmm. I choked. You know, so I, I was like, I have to go back behind the magic. I have a relationship with those guys. Mm-hmm. I can yeah. ride them for it's 82 games. Yeah. yeah, I can ride them for 41 home games sure. every year. Yeah. You know, yeah, I yeah. kind of build up a little history. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a little different than... Um, now, you don't want these guys to just roll into town and, and are out the next night. Right. I mean, it's fleeting. It's not satisfying in any way, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Are we still talking about basketball? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, good, yeah. good. Uh, coming up on today's podcast, we have a live in-studio performance by Bella Reeve, a fantastic emerging uh, worship group. And we also have an st- a, uh, interview with Helen Whitney, who's a producer, director, and writer uh, who does a lot of documentaries. And she has a new one uh, on PBS called Forgiveness, A Time to Love and Time to Hate. And Josh interviews her. Yeah, it's actually very fascinating. Uh, she took on the idea... Um, to, uh, to try to tackle what religious people and non-religious people, how they view uh, forgiveness in their lives. It's really interesting. Uh, the way I do it is by after you do something terrible, mm-hmm. give the person a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> it heals it all heals. wrongs. It yeah. heals. And, uh, it's, it's the universal sign of, sorry, dude. Yeah. 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 Or, oh, crap, you can hear me. Yeah. 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 And, um, <laughs> oh, crap, you can hear me and, and you're huge. And you're huge. Yeah. And, and I don't want... Carlos Boozer. I do not want you if to you be If you have mad. a name like Boozer, you're going to be a bad dude. <laughs> yeah. I don't want you to be mad at me. We're only six feet from each other. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, up first, your entertainment releases coming out in stores. Music coming out on Tuesday, May 31st. Death Cab for Cutie with their highly anticipated Codes and Keys. It's coming out. My Morning Jacket with Circuital. Eddie Vedder with, oh my, <laughs> Eddie Vedder. It's like, really? He's still making music? His album is called Ukulele Songs. So apparently he's given up on the rock thing and he's just trying. Is it really ukulele songs? Wow. That, I don't know, but we can only hope. <laughs> Eddie Vedder, ukulele songs. Wow. Wouldn't you love to hear Even Flow with a ukulele? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Flogging Molly is coming out with Speed of Darkness. I always thought it was a terrible band name. And band. It's domestic violence. <laughs> Did you say band I, or band name? No, I said band. He said band name. I hate jam bands. Flogging Molly can... You're not a big fish fan? No. Oh, god. But, but isn't Flogging Molly, aren't they more like, uh, kind of like the punk rock, uh, like fish. Irish, Scottish type of band? They're they're a jam band in my uh, in my opinion. Um, even though their style is a little bit different than OAR and, uh, yeah, the Grateful Dead types. Yeah. And last but not least, Tadashi... Uh, is coming out with Blacklight. Tadashi is a uh, Christian hip-hop artist who is appearing in the July issue of Relevant, actually. Uh, movies coming out on Friday, June 3rd, X-Men First Class. James McAvoy and others. Maya's excited about that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Beautiful Boy is coming out in limited release and Beginners starring Ewan McGregor and others. Put that in just for you. Thank you. you Ewan. Ewan, <laughs> Ewan. I don't know how to say the dude's name and he's in like a movie every other month. Yeah, whenever he does home videos, even Chad just has <laughs> yeah. to add him just to make yeah. him yeah, say he, he has. He has a, a very hard to pronounce name but an amazing career. Ewan McGregor, sorry. <laughs> Alright, that'll do it for your entertainment release. So stay tuned. Up next, Slices. Children grow. 
This podcast is brought to you by Veneer, living deeply in a surface society. The new book by Timothy Willard and Jason Losey. Discover what it takes to strip away your veneer and allow God to show you the beauty of your imperfections. Visit nveneer.com or purchase a copy at your local bookstore or online retailer today. You're listening to Fleet Foxes. The song is Grown Ocean. It's playing right now on Relevant FM and the video is at Relevant TV. Check it out. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Martin Solveig and Dragonette with the song Hello, which is also playing on Relevant FM and Relevant TV. Okay, it's time for Slices. What do you have, Jesse? All right, well, this is just a really humorous uh, story that I found really humorous. Uh, there is uh, a company that is is suing uh, the U.S. Justice Department because the Justice Department is refusing to pay for an incredibly rare Ferrari that they wrecked. And here's the story. So uh, this car was stolen from a dealership. Uh, this was years ago, uh, back in 2003. And at that time, the insurance company had to pay for it. So it's it's actually owned by an insurance company. Uh, the FBI found the car, and they have been storing it in some garages for a couple years as part of an ongoing investigation because it costs like uh, $750,000. So uh, recently, an FBI agent was told to move it from one garage to another there at their facility. So he decided to call up a buddy and just take it for a, quote, short ride. Um, Joyride. The, yeah, the car ended up destroyed. Uh, completely totaled, and the U.S. Justice Department won't release any any explanation about the crash, and they refuse to uh, to actually pay anything. But they had the the guy who was the passenger, the the FBI agent's buddy. Here's how he described it: Just a few seconds after we left the parking lot, we went around a curve, and the rear of the car began to slide. The agent then tried to regain control, but the car fishtailed and slid sideways onto a curb. The vehicle then came to rest on a row of bushes and a small tree. <laughs> so basically, we were doing some sweet donuts out in the parking lot. He nailed the tree <laughs> in, a, in a three quarters of a million dollar Ferrari. But it just goes to show if you're an FBI agent, you can literally get away with anything. Wow. It, it's, do they not have to release information regarding things that are on public record, like a traffic accident? No, because it's the Justice Department and the car is part of an investigation, they don't have to release the the details. I think it's the Justice League. Is it? I think it is. is yeah, it? I think when you have superpowers, you're you're exempt. Is that the same league or different league than the one with a uh, really awesome gentleman? I have no uh, idea. The, no, that one's pretty extraordinary, but yeah. it's not it's oh. not awesome. <laughs> okay. Okay. But how would you like to be an FBI agent and you have a garage? Because okay, th- we only know about this because they wrecked the Ferrari, right? If they hadn't have wrecked it, you know, how would we even know that this occurred? We wouldn't. We wouldn't. So that's what I'm saying. Imagine the imagine what FBI agents do on a daily basis with all this off. Like they probably go out like on the on the sickest like drug dealing cigarette boats you've ever seen and just go for a day at the beach with them. Looking for drugs. Yeah, quote unquote. Yeah, right. And, right. And meanwhile, they got one of those sweet tubes that fly behind the cigarette boat. <laughs> because that's how you find the guys with drugs. Yeah, well, you gotta have a high perspective. Yeah, I understand. That's good. Those things are illegal, by the way, now. Cameron, were you looking yeah. at purchasing one one time? Yeah, we were out boating in Lake Maitland and, and we saw uh, a family go by and they had this massive <laughs> inner tube thing. It was more f- flat, like a uh, eight foot wide raft, but it was 
uh, V sh- uh, triangle shaped, okay. kind of like a kite. Yeah. <laughs> and and you and it had handles on the front and kind of down the middle part of it. And the point of this thing was that you would. Um, go full speed and the person on this device would catch air and it would go and it would go up like a parasail yeah uh you know 20 30 feet in the air as you drove around well the family we saw put their eight nine-year-old children on it and the kids are just flying and it looked like the most epic fun ever and then like literally the next week i'm on a plane and in the sky mall catalog there's one oh my gosh six hundred dollars but 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 the real problem is it's quite literally a death trap (laughs) This it, is designed to go dangerously yeah, high. Yeah, this is like a flying apparatus. I want to do this, sure. and so but six hundred bucks, man. So I'm saving up for a few months, yeah. and then I literally go on the website to try and uh, check it out, make yeah. sure, and it's illegal. What? It, it's it's the four loco of boat. Oh, points. you beat me to it. I've been sitting here the whole time, ready to drop the four loco reference. The, the government banned it because it was so dangerous and people were dying. Jeez, the plummeting from the sky behind boats. Oh, <laughs> well, when you when it's you think amazing. about it, there's some guy that's like, I'm going to invent something that combines high speed, getting dangerously high, water, and a speedboat. <laughs> this sounds like a really fun family because toy. Have you ever been parasailing? No. It's it's I, I went in the islands one time and you're thinking oh thrill you're going fast you're up in the air what happens is you actually get up there yeah. and it is completely dead silent you huh. can't no wind nothing yeah it is the most serene huh. relaxing dare I say boring thing sure. I've ever that's done that's what in my I life. was gonna say about because thir- I went once and about forty five seconds in you're like. All right, this was cool. Yeah, I you wish know, this is a good fifty bucks. I wish they'd like pull you in so you could just be like ten feet behind the boat yeah. and you could you know feel a little you know. Well, that's what this is. This is like you're there ten fifteen above the boat and you're going at 30, 40 miles an hour. You could die. Well, apparently people were. So it's almost like here's how I compare parasailing. Like, have you ever, as an adult, decided you know it'd be really fun if we all just went to the skating rink? Like, oh, that would be just be like old days. You're there for like twenty minutes. You're like, this was a bad idea. <laughs> like, we've gone. I've gone around in a circle like thirty times. I'm a little embarrassed. This is weird. <laughs> and everyone with me is bored. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's parasailing. I don't know. How did we get off on this apparatus? Um, oh, because if you're in the FBI, you, the, the <laughs> FBI probably has warehouses of these things. <laughs> they probably have the best boating weekends ever. Well, that's what I'm saying. They've confiscated all the dangerous equipment. And they've confiscated those Miami Vice boats. Yeah, everything so is fun. Fast. So they're going like fun. 150 miles an hour with these things flying by. In white, them. In white uh, sport coats. Yeah, and teal t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. That's the dream. So we all have to join the FBI. Everything you're saying sounds legal and awesome. I don't know why people are If I choose to put myself on that and I die, it's like, you know, riding a motorcycle with no helmet or smoking my whole life. It's my choice. I should be able to die. creating a really dangerous invention that can get you high in the air (laughs) behind a boat. I should be able to die if I want to. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Yeah. You know what? If I got an umbrella and a bunch of trash bags and some duct tape and made my own hang glider. It doesn't work. And jumped off a roof (laughs) of my house. It doesn't work. I've told you this. I've do- I did that when I was uh, when I was nine. It doesn't work. <laughs> really? <laughs> I one day I was home, quote unquote, sick. I did this quite a bit. And while I was home alone, I would uh, come up with ideas. Did guys try to break in your house? <laughs> did guys? Try yeah, to- while you were home alone. <laughs> Actually, one evening. Yeah. Yes. 
What? Okay, I had uh, we. Your lived, family left you at the house. No, luckily Buzz forgot to hide his BB gun. <laughs> this okay. This uh, well, two, two things. Number one, okay. So during the day, I'm nine years old. I jump off the roof. I think I can. I created a, a parachute. So just in case it was, I would get in, hurt in the fall. I dressed in a snowsuit for padding yeah. and snow boots so I wouldn't break my ankles. <laughs> okay, and then bad I, idea. And then I oh. jump off the second floor roof. And um, I plummeted like a rock and um, landed where the snow boots shoved into my shins at the top, you know, like the metal. And it just like about broke my shins. And I'm laying there on the ground for an hour. I am such writhing in pain. I can't stand. And my parents are gone and I can't tell them what I did. And also. And okay. this is Florida, right? This is and Florida. you're laying outside on the ground in a snow <laughs> snow, suit. Yeah, yeah. snow boots, and I'm like nine. And, and With I, a broken umbrella. <laughs> no, 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 it was a garbage bag. Yeah, no, what it, what it looks like to everyone else is just you're really confused about the weather. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that was bad. No, one night, I'm in high school. I'm a good kid, so what do I do with this freedom? I TP houses. Yeah, of course. This is all I did, like yeah. all through high school, is yeah. I TP houses well. We, I had some guys over one night and we caught wind that a revenge hit was coming. Okay. So we decide to get all of our like spy op equipment and like go stake out the neighborhood. And we had lookouts and we were going to ambush these guys. Right? right. Right. So long story short, while we're out there about three in the morning, somebody tries to break into my house and we caught them because we were looking for the TPers. Are you kidding? I'm not kidding at What'd all. What'd you do with them? Well, we lived on uh, the edge of some woods, like 80 acres of woods. You, you tied him to a tree. You killed him and put him <laughs> No, no, no. He, <laughs> here's, okay, so, you know, the TPRs didn't come, and it's like three in the morning, and we're all disappointed, and we're all ready for some action. And, you know, so we're sitting in my family room watching some TV or whatever, and we see flashlights out in the backyard. And so we're like, oh. So we flank. Guys go out the front out the garage and we're flanking. We're going to swoop around to catch the guy. So I'm like, man, these guys are epic. They're not going to TP our front yard. They're coming around the backyard. Yeah, and that's we got next them. level. That's next level. We're excited. So we're all flanking them and stuff and uh, come face to face with, they were burglars and they, f- and they fled into our woods and so we called the cops and the cops, we had about 20 cops like coming, uh, helicopters all Jeez. around. Turned out that it was an, uh, it was an inmate or an ex, uh, ex-con who had been burglaring the whole area and we were near a rest stop on the interstate. And so yeah. he was going to that rest stop, coming into our neighborhood and then going back to the rest stop and taking off. Wow. And so he was, we flushed him into the woods all night long. The cops are, pre- they were chewing us out. Like they could have shot you in the face. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, but you're like, we have like night vision goggles yeah. and uh, yeah. BB guns. We were good. Yeah. yeah. We actually did have BB guns. Yeah. And a lot of toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We had a lot of stuff to yeah. mess yeah. with these people. See, they should be, whenever I try to take matters in my own hands, I get the same thing, reprimanded. Yeah. They should be thanking the citizenry. <laughs> All right. What do you have? Uh, you may have heard that Arizona is a tough state to live in if you are not a U.S. citizen. I don't know if you've paid attention to the news, but they, uh, they don't like it when you uh, when you sneak into America from uh, France, from France or uh, <laughs> Canada or Mexico, um, and so Arizona has obviously been one of the toughest states on uh, immigration, illegal immigration, and uh, and now they've decided they're going to be the first state to put up a border between uh, between the United States and Mexico, which they can uh, apparently do on their own as a state. Um, which is interesting because I think there's a few other ways to get into America, but they want to spend a bunch of money on this. What's great is, what's incredible is the senator 
who's sponsoring this legislation to build a fence between Mexico and Arizona, came out with a statement this week and said, unfortunately, the state is broke, and quite frankly, we can't take on this massive project by ourselves. Now his desire is to ask citizens to give $50 million above their taxes in donations to build this fence. Of all the things that you could be giving to right now, of all the things that are happening in, you know, with tornado victims, with everything that's going on around the world, uh, these people uh, are really passionate about running fundraisers to build their fence. So it's sort of like a Radiohead album. It is. You can just give as much extra as you want. Or it's a Kickstarter project for uh, the new Donald Miller movie. I don't know. It's it's very similar, I think. This It brings up an interesting tension between... um, States' rights and yeah. the role of the federal government in protecting right. the borders. Yeah, like I, I, I was at a White House briefing and they were talking about immigration and th- this issue was brought up that kind of individual states are taking matters in their own ha- in their own hands and it's like, well, how how is the federal government working with the states? Yeah, and and and, and, and there's just this utter confusion of who can take lead because right. I mean, if you go back to the Constitution, states' rights are you know, built into this whole con- uh, context of, of what we are as a nation. Right. You should be able to uh, have your own laws and, and govern your people the way that they want to be governed. But then the role of the federal government is defense of our borders and protection of the in- collective states. Right. And so if, like, you have this rogue state off doing stuff that's counterproductive to the collective good... Uh, it is the role of the federal government to put the kibosh on it. But what are the things, I mean, again, if you think about the fact that we all, you know, most of us pay our taxes uh, and, uh, you know, we're doing what we can to, you know, to give money to the government because that's what we're supposed to do uh, by law. When the government comes back to you and asks for more money donated for certain projects, I'm trying to think of the list that would be created of all the things that I would give money to um, building a fence that isn't really going to do much. You, you're, you'd be uh, surprised at um, how powerful hate is. Yeah. I'm, I'm, offense is going to, you know, I, that's a f- weird fundraising. What, what special video with inspirational Josh Groban music do you create that makes me want to give money to, to build a well, fence? You know, and then, well, but, well, well just, just to play devil's advocate here, I'm not coming out one way or the other for the, you know, with the issue, all I'm saying is, would you rather them do a mandatory tax hike to pay for it? Or would you rather say, you know what, if you want to give, we're going to try to do this, you can give. Freedom, freedom of choice is great. If you care about the issue, give toward it. That's wonderful. My question and, and, is... Yeah, I could say for any issue. I'm not just talking about a border fence. What, is, what is the 50 statement. million? I'm just saying that the, the technique of saying, well, this is something uh, as legislators we want to do as elected officials, whether you agree with the issue or not, uh, would you rather them mandate a tax increase uh, to pay for it or do a voluntary uh, like donation? I hear what you're saying. My question is the $50 million, what is it actually doing? So it erects the yeah. fence. Who's maintaining the fence? Who's monitoring the fence? Who's, you know, I mean, to me, then that's where the Federal Border Patrol comes into play. So you're actually, the state is paying for infrastructure that then has to be maintained, guarded, and monitored by the federal taxpayers. So actually, Arizona is, I think, I mean, my assumption would be, actually creating long-term expense for the American taxpayers, not just the Arizona taxpayers. But what's, what's crazy to me about this is to spend all this money on it, it just feels foolish, because it's, they're not the only state bordering Mexico. 
So yeah. you build you build like a one mile fence or however long the fence is going to be, uh, you know, between you and the other country. And I just sneak around through Texas and I make my way up to Arizona if I want to get there. If I go up through California, it, it's just bizarre to me that they would be this passionate about it. So, I mean, if the fence is the answer, then the fence has to be solid from edge to edge. Yeah, like your point is. Yeah. and if the fence isn't the answer, then this is pointless. So right. either way, it seems really short sighted. And if the government wants it, it's just a funny thing just to say oh we're broke we're in debt we're not going to pay for it we want you guys to do this yeah. i don't know it's weird well i think it'll make a strong statement if they actually end up raising 50 million dollars from citizens that want the, the fence it will make a strong statement that this is something that people want so but really how high is the fence because in mexico there's a huge black market for these stingray floating <laughs> tight things and all they have to do is strap people to them yep. run up to the fence yeah. and people will sail right over yeah it's brilliant that's why the government shut them down it's brilliant yeah, yeah. it's all coming together now it's brilliant um okay well that'll do it for slices stay tuned up next bella reeve listening to Bon Iver for the uneducated it's spelled Bon Iver that's right I'm seeing people tweet right now is that really how you pronounce it Bon Iver really Just, yeah they, they have no idea they've been saying it wrong for a couple years now they feel like pretty stupid it's Bon Iver uh, the song is Perth from their upcoming slash brand new album Bon Iver it is funny because you don't go to a concert and hear someone say ladies and gentlemen presenting Bon Iver right and you don't hear them on the radio so all, all you see is all on you, the web. Yeah, you're just going to see on the web. You have friends talk about it. And people are going to, you know, it's really interesting. Unless you see them on a late night show. Yeah. That's late it, night though. show or some interview at yeah. like some website or here on this podcast. podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. It's true. Bella Reeve is a worship band from right here in Orlando. In 2009, they released their first EP called The Being Human Project. And they're currently working on their next album. We've actually done a couple things with them. We, when we hosted our free John Mark McMillan concert uh, last fall, Bella Reeve opened and was absolutely fantastic. And then after that, they actually, in our studio, recorded their music video um, just a few months ago, actually. Yeah. It was really interesting. It was like a free concert and live recording um, at, at, at our studio. Uh, the price of admission was a light bulb and a recording device. So the light bulbs uh, provided were the only source of light in the room for the entire night, and the footage received from each of the recording devices was compiled to make the video for the song Sing. Um, everything you can see in here was made possible entirely by the people in attendance. And we are playing that video. We're putting it up right now on Relevant TV, and you can see it also on the podcast episode page. They are a worship band from the church that Josh actually used to be on staff at. Yeah, I mean, these guys, I'm super proud of them. This is, uh, this is a group of people that have come together um, as a part of the same church community and uh, really felt compelled to write some worship music that was unique and original to the community uh, that they're a part of here in Orlando, Florida. And uh, it's really exciting to see people outside of the church they're a part of really embrace what they're doing. Here they are. Here's Bella Reeve performing their single, Sing.
That was Bella Reeve. If you want to check out more, visit bellareeve.com or you can head over to the podcast episode page or Relevant TV to see the video for that song, Sing. You're listening to Amos Lee. The song is Flower, and the video is playing right now on Relevant TV. Helen Whitney has worked as a producer, director, and writer for documentaries and feature films since 1971. Uh, her work, her documentary work, has appeared on ABC, PBS, a lot of different places. She's won many awards, like uh, an Emmy, a Peabody Award. She's been nominated for an Oscar and more. Uh, she recently launched a new book and a PBS miniseries called Forgiveness, A Time to Love and a Time to Hate. In the U.S. and across the globe, people of all backgrounds, races, religions, and cultures find themselves confronted with the act of forgiveness. Many churches discuss forgiveness and encourage their congregations to try and forgive others. Everyone has had to forgive, whether it be over something small or over something unimaginable. Whitney dives deep into the act of forgiveness and touches on spirituality as she herself is on a religious journey. Through this project, Whitney seeks to shed some insight into the light and darkness of forgiveness. She looks into human capacity to forgive through a range of compelling stories, including personal betrayal, adultery, and global reconciliation following genocide. Uh, Josh recently talked to her. Yeah, I think what was great is, I mean, the amount of research they did for both the movie and the book is is really compelling. Uh, she spent some time with the Amish community that um, had that guy come in and kill uh, children. She spent time with people who, um, in a hospice, with people who were on the, the edge of dying and uh, and talked to them about who they needed forgiveness from and um, and why forgiveness mattered to them. Um, yeah, she just has a range of stories and people that she spent time with um, really compiling these these compelling stories about what our culture um, thinks and feels about forgiveness, both the religious community and the non-religious community. And I think part of what's interesting is is some of the conclusions that she um, yeah, that she found to be true about who we are um, in America. So it's fascinating. yeah. Well, um, here is part of that interview. Um, Helen, obviously creating films that have a spiritual tone seem to be your bread and butter. Is that intentional in the projects that you take on? Actually, you know, as if you've looked at my CV, you'll see that I've made a f- films on a variety of subjects, ranging from youth gangs to presidential candidates to the McCarthy era and so many other ones, Richard Avedon. But there is this leitmotif that runs through, and that, you know, really, that is, I guess in one of the better words, spiritual landscapes, uh, whether they're, uh, whether I'm exploring the monastic life inside of a Trappist monastery or focusing on John Paul II, the Polish, the great Polish Pope, or looking at the spiritual aftershocks of 9-11, 
or forgiveness. It, I, I am very drawn to these subjects, not so much because they are religious, in quotes, but because they are existential and spiritual in focus, because underneath all of them are the questions being asked, whether they're by the Pope, whether they're by the monks uh, in the Trappist Monastery, or people struggling with the horror of 9-11, and on and on, they're asking those questions. Why are we here? What does it all mean? Is death all there is? And on and on. And those are, those are the questions I find most interesting, and they're most accessible in films that uh, are spiritually focused. As a filmmaker, I mean, I'm sure the ideas that you have uh, are endless in terms of projects that you'd like to dive into. Why did a film about forgiveness um, make uh, make it to the top of the pile as something that you wanted to dive into? This is forgiveness is one of the very few films I have made in the last forty years that was not my idea, and not only not my idea. It was an idea so big, so vast, so shapeless, uh, that I was really backing away from it. Uh, A man who was a very wealthy, successful financier, who's a spiritual seeker, tracked me down. I was coming off of an exhausting, long, you know, huge subject, the Mormons, the entire history of the Mormons, this you know, American-bred religion, and I was, you know, it was my last day on set, really, and he found me by phone and had known all about my work and offered me this film, a fully funded film. So I took about a month or two to think it through. I didn't jump immediately, and I really, within two months, I was totally hooked. Mm. I came to believe that this subject mattered urgently and intensely you know for people that was that was sort of the number one i spent time in a in a uh, in a in a hospice with dying patients and had a had a sense of how that there was almost no other subject but forgiveness at the end of uh, end of one's life and then of course when friends and strangers found out that i was making this film i was besieged by letters or conversations or people coming up to me at parties wanting to talk about it and and you know I had started out as I think you may and other people have with this misconception that that forgiveness is this sentimental idea of you know one must always forgive uh, and if you can't you're a spiritual underachiever and that's really not the case because you know forgiveness is so much more complicated it it can be powerful it also could be limited it can be dangerous and and also which was just catnip for me because uh, i always love complicating things and, and and exploring complexities and contradictions in whatever subject i choose whether it's richard avedon or forgiveness or the pope i quickly discovered that there's just no consensus about what forgiveness is and what it is becoming and that was fascinating uh, and then i i think finally i got hooked because i realized that there's this new forgiveness that's left the pulpit and hit the streets and is shaping 
12-step programs and th the therapy hour and has moved into the internet and on afternoon television shows and has, you know, migrated to the political arena, you know, shaping public apology, driving it. So it was, you know, complicated. It was urgent. It was new in this new forgiveness that's ubiquitous and everywhere and I go how can I turn this down so that's what happened <laughs> Were there any surprises that you found along the way that um, caught you off guard about forgiveness or the way that our culture looks at experiencing it um, You know, as you went through the process of making the film? Well, I certainly became more aware of, of subtle cultural coercion uh, about it's always better to forgive and, and, and you are somewhat the lesser for it if, if you're not. I mean, I very much resist that and I think it's a double injury for those people who have been hurt to suddenly feel, my gosh, I can't come up with this forgiveness and I must be a lesser person spiritually. They've already been injured as a second injury. I became more attuned to that, I think. And I, I also was struck by the durability and the intensity of injuries uh, that the human animal can sustain and to the outside person they can seem trivial they can seem not worthy of the obsession that can accompany them and I so often would would meet families who were estranged and and I would try to sort of disentangle the knots or, or find out what had kept people for 80 years from talking to each other. And often, you know, to the outsider, it seemed slight what Aunt Lydia said to Aunt <laughs> Sylvia. Right. But it grew over the years, and it became in its own way, and I use this as a very carefully, a mini-Holocaust, uh, in which people misheard, or it grew in intensity, and then people took sides, and and to the outsider, it did seem slight, uh, but not in the intensity of its duration, not to the degree to which it could cause alienation. So I think I, I was surprised by that, frankly, mm. and uh, don't know why I should be, but I was. If, if, if you could say one thing publicly um, to people about forgiveness, you know, if you could speak one thing into our culture about forgiveness, what would be the statement? Is there, is there a phrase? Is there a statement? No, no. It's, it's honor, it's complexity, and it's contradictions. There's no one-size-fits-all. There are, I mean, the title of this film comes from Ecclesiastes, A Time to Love and a Time to Hate. And I really, this book, the film, really acknowledged and explored and celebrated the complexity of forgiveness. And in the film, there are people who have forgiven too quickly and, and carelessly and prematurely whose lives have been hurt mm. because they hadn't really 
understood the anger that they were experiencing, and they denied this reality, and they suffered uh, as a result of a kind of premature forgiveness. And then there are people whose lives were transformed mm. by being able to ask for forgiveness and be forgiven. Uh, so I, I really, uh, complexity, contradiction, honor the power of forgiveness, but acknowledge also its limitations and on rare instances, its dangers. Complexity. That was Helen Whitney. You can find out more about the book and miniseries at HelenWhitney.com. I've thrown all my dreams right up And I'm so lonely You're listening to Lost in the Trees. It sounds sad. All alone in, in an empty house. Because they're lost in the trees. It sounds like the uh, guy that was on the run from uh, a bunch of teenagers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we armed, about. armed with flashlights yeah. and BB guns. The name of the song is about Cameron. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> I did get into a lot of trouble. I lit our driveway on fire once. Why? 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 You light a dry- Why? It's not even flammable. Why? You have a wooden driveway? Uh, gasoline is flammable. And my bucket of gasoline poured all over the driveway. Oh my gosh! And I, what I was trying to recreate. Wait, this is when back get back when gas was like fifteen cents a gallon. Yeah. Now just, that's like liquid gold. Yeah. You, and, and you didn't feel weird if you just dumped it down the drain. <laughs> right. What I was trying to recreate was the intro to Lethal Weapon Two, where <laughs> <laughs> who hasn't been there? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's a string yeah. of fire that slowly, or so, every Die Hard movie. Yeah. So I so I poured this trail of gas all over our uh, driveway, and apparently it spread much larger than I had anticipated. Lit it on one end, and the whoo, the entire driveway is in flames. Were your parents home at this time? No, of course not. Can, can I can I, I suggest playing, the I was, way that you lit it? You actually lit, you ignited it. You lit up a cigarette. You don't even smoke, <laughs> did, didn't you? you just like, <laughs> I'm getting too old for this. And you and you and you took a puff, and then you just flicked it onto your driveway, didn't you? Yeah. You have uh, you've lit water on fire, which seems impossible. You've you've lit driveways oh, on fire. fire. I mean, this is you have a gift. Yeah, so somehow you actually lit ice on fire one time. Wow. It's going to be pretty awesome when we get your dad on the oh, podcast God. next week. Yeah, I'm still scared of them finding any of that out. Just FYI. Hold on, we've got a caller. Good thing you're putting it out on the. <laughs> we've, we've got a caller. Hold on a second. Uh, go ahead. You've been listening the whole time. What were you going to say? Parents don't know how to work a podcast. <laughs> um, it's as if a podcast is a device that has all these knobs and little. Nuts in their mind, it is. Yeah, they don't. But like, like it's like this weird, like little invention. Yeah. All right, uh, it's time for your feedback. I wasn't here last week. Uh, but last week, they asked you to tell us your all-time worst job stories. Oh, that fits in with the theme of John's book. How promotional. Hmm. Uh, you went to the podcast episode page and posted your replies there. Here's some of our favorites. Well, I like Andrew Breedlove is, is Andrew's last name. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, Yo, that's awesome. Dude, we've gotten like a new crew here with like, like John Legacy and like... Casey Friend and like all oh, these like that's not real. Your last name's not real. Breedlove, that's yeah. not real. I know. Even Loveless. 
Yeah. That's I, not just, real. I don't think it's You're real. You're a liar, it's too Josh, perfect. You? I don't it's think just, it's real. Yeah, it's too too awesome of a name, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, our good friend, Mr. Breedlove, um, he worked in college not as a safety officer or a security guard, but as a safety escort at his college campus. He was an escort? Yeah. <laughs> but a, sa- a safety a safe escort. He was a paid escort? In college, yeah. uh, that's what he's that's what he's confessing on our, our <laughs> you know whatever got him through school. Um, so basically, all they were armed with was a flashlight and a radio. They didn't even have toilet paper. Um, and he also had a mountain bike, and he would just ride it around campus um, for a while and make sure nothing shady was going on. Um, he never really found anything or got to put the flashlight or radio to any good use in, in, in solving a crime or placing anyone under citizen's arrest. Um, but if he saw like, like a girl waiting to be picked up or, or to go somewhere alone, he would offer to wait with them. Um, but he said after his junior year, he quit and he didn't tell the police captain, never turned in his uniform or equipment or never heard from them again. And uh, he still has all the, the the uniforms that he wears to parties. So I guess it worked out for old Relove in the end. Is he uh, a safety escort at the parties or? <laughs> yeah, it's really no one else has the costume. No, no. Yeah, he just goes. He doesn't go like ironically wearing it. He actually goes to perform safety escort duties at parties oh, to make sure working. people get home. Yeah. Yeah. He, he then presents the person that, that hosted the party with a bill at the end <laughs> of the night. Yeah. Okay, uh, so Kyle was a uh, programmer as a software development company, and part of his job was customer service. So he had to field customer service calls, which I'm sure uh, any fielding any, any kind of technology call can be frustrating. But he said one day he got a call from a client that said they couldn't get on uh, to the website uh, that they were administering. Uh, they couldn't remote in. And so we asked him, well, why they couldn't? And the client said, well, right now the power's out. And so his instruction was, why don't you wait for the power to come back on and then try? And sure enough, it worked. <laughs> so he, he, was a, he was a geek squatter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Isaac, uh, along the theme of customer service, Isaac says, I worked at a calling center in Mexico selling credit cards. He could stop right there. That's Paul. not legal. No, I, every, <laughs> just that, I, I want to know his story. I want to take him out to coffee. So he says, I worked at a calling center in Mexico selling credit cards. Um, and black, ma- yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. And black market Boat towable. Do you think there was any connection to Dave Ramsey, you know, at all? Uh, my all-time worst job stories are when I called someone and I could hear in the background, tell them I'm not here, or my favorite, a lady answered the phone. I asked for her husband. After this, she immediately starts crying and tells me that he had died not long ago. Good times. Wow. Yeah. That would be the worst job ever. Yeah. A collections call person. Center. Yeah. Call, call center in Mexico. For credit cards. <laughs> I just think yeah. any call center anywhere. Uh, yeah. uh, once again, the lead has been buried in that story. Yeah. <laughs> well, that'll do it for your feedback. And now it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Okay, so earlier in the podcast, we were talking about uh, trouble we got, on, got into as kids when our parents weren't around to supervise us. Uh, we want to know your stories of the craziest or funniest stuff that happened to you as a kid when your parents weren't around. Um, you and your friends. Because we're thinking it's not just when you're home alone. 
because probably the most of the trouble you get into is when you cook something up with a friend. Although I had to entertain myself. I was an only child. I was home- for a long time. I was homeschooled, so I was never allowed to leave my mother's apron ever. To this oh. day. I I am still. She is she's sitting here <laughs> she, next to me. She's waiting in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I had several incidents with BB guns as a child. That doesn't um, surprise me. Were you shooting them at nerdy children? No, no. All I can tell you is that the police showed up several times because hunting in a densely populated suburban neighborhood is generally frowned upon. What were you hunting? Yeah. It depends. Uh, critters, you know. Um, <laughs> well, honestly, we, I don't think we ever actually were able to find any anything. And not, even if we did, one, we weren't good enough shots with the BB guns. Two, the BB guns weren't powered enough to probably break an animal's skin. Um, there's there's uh, kids but, in fourth grade that like would shoot animals with BB guns and then like bring in the dead animal to like before school to like show as a trophy. Yeah, wow. Like like birds and cats and things like that. It was pretty cats. Sad. Yeah, <laughs> it's wow. one thing if it's like a wild animal, but a domesticated animal. Well, I think it was a wild cat. You know what I mean? Like, Whoa, a, feral, feral. like no. a like a bobcat. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cougar. Because yeah. those are endangered in Florida. Forty-seven year old single women. <laughs> <laughs> no, we uh, also one time my friend on the internet uh, found out how to make a potato gun. Yep, I remember those uh, used to be a big big deal. Yeah. So so basically, all you need is PVC pipe, uh, like a little spark plug igniter thing, and hairspray. And you can make a potato gun. And I remember we tested it out against like uh, the chimney, you know, like we just aimed it like pretty much point blank at a chimney and shot it. And the potato just went everywhere. It was totally awesome. (laughs) So then we decided our next shot would just be like, I don't know, at probably like a 40 degree angle and just shoot it up in the air. Like I said, we lived in a densely popular, uh, densely populated suburban neighborhood. So we lost sight of that potato and I don't know what happened. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't like one of those things we really thought through like, oh, awesome. Now let's shoot it this way. And we shot it and just, and it just disappeared, you know? So I love that story. All right. So we want to know your stories of the funniest or craziest stuff that happened when you were home alone. Uh, or, or when your parents weren't around. Go to the podcast episode page, relevantmagazine.com, post your replies there. Or if you want to read your replies or join us on the podcast next week to tell us your story, email us at podcast at relevantmagazine.com and uh, let us know your Skype name. We'll try to work it out. Um, on that note, we'll wrap things up. Many thanks to Bella Reef for coming through. Uh, you can check out their Being Human project, their first EP, at their website, bellareeve.com, B-E-L-L-A-R-I-V. E.com. Uh, many thanks to Helen Whitney for talking to us as well. Um, you can check out her recently launched book and PBS miniseries, called, both called Forgiveness, A Time to Love and A Time to Hate. You can find out more at HelenWhitney.com. Okay, on that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Josh Luan Loveless. I'm Jesse Carey. That's Chad Michael Snavely. We'll see you next week. Real skinny, loud colored tennis, body marked up like graffiti. I don't push a Maserati, Beamer, Benz, or Bentley. And yeah, I wrote a foreign, and this I'm looking spiffy. Hey, go ahead and doubt us, know what you know about us. And we ain't got to follow, then we took another route. No, we ain't blowing trees, bro. Open up my window. I see you popping tags, but you know that's why your in 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 ends low. I try to tell them we was coming down, let us in. Why they hating like we are a bunch of hooligans? No gimmicks, spirit in my lyrics. Know when people hear it, they gon' love her, they gon' fear it. Thanks for listening to the Relevant Podcast. For more, go to relevantmagazine.com. But some others say we preachy. Some closed-minded geeches. Like we ain't heard of Mark's like a Nietzsche. Believe me.
It's it's the four loco of boat toys.